Welcome to the Rural Radio Network once again. Another edition of Midday on the network. I'm Dirk Christensen, and we've got Jesse, Scott, Jason all sitting here chomping at the microphone to bring you the, well, I guess. Is that what I'm doing? I thought I was just sitting here. That doesn't sound very nom, nom, actually, nom. does it? <laughs> nom, nom, nom. Yeah. Uh, to get you the information about what you'll be hearing over the course of the next couple of hours, it's... Uh, our midday rundown of everything that you need to know to be up to date in middle America. And here is Jesse Harding. There's quite a few events taking place today as we get close to State Fair and Husker Harvest Days. I feel like things start to ramp back up again with events. And so for the 12-13, Nebraska governor had a press conference today about value-added agriculture, being able to help producers out. And so we'll get a little audio on that for the 12-19 uh, for the 12-13, excuse me. For the 12-19, Shaley Peters is with a first vice president of Nebraska Farm Bureau, Mark McCarg, and they talk about the agriculture side of things from the Governor Pete Ricketts trade mission to Canada last week discussing Farm Bureau's point of view and things in agriculture that were discussed. For the newsmaker Brandon Bennens talks with Brett Enns. He is the assistant director of first year programs and he's also talking with Mackenzie Zoba uh, who is a blue and gold coordinator both from the University of Nebraska Kearney. They discuss student move-in day this Friday and also welcome week. Things are going on for campus and then for the 117 Chad Moyer is in Omaha today for the 2017 U.S. Soy Global Trade Exchange they're really trying to help uh, buyers and sellers of soybean, soybean meal soybean oil connect together and really showcase how great U.S. Soy is in the global market and so we'll get an interview from him from Omaha for the 117. Quality makes a difference on Yes it does. Yep, by a long shot over to Jason we go what's shaking in sports sir? Talk about Big Ten Volleyball. Huskers are and, and Coach Cook has come out and said this, they will be rebuilding this year, although most teams can't say in a rebuilding year. They're still ranked in the top ten and predicted to finish second in one of the best conferences in the country, but that's where the Huskers are at. We'll hear from one of the players they will be leaning on heavily this fall. Also, we'll talk some Husker football. A lot of talk about the new 3-4 defense, new defensive coordinator, Bob Diaco. Uh, the Big Ten Network boys were in Lincoln yesterday checking things out, and they came away pretty impressed. Uh, they said of all the practices that they've seen, they said Nebraska's was as, as good as what they've seen so far this fall. So Nice to hear. I don't know what that means down the road, but... <laughs> we're all drinking the Kool-Aid right now. Yeah. At least that's, practice is going well. That's that's true. So that's, that's where it's all got to start. Scarlet and cream Got to build, build a foundation right there. Yum, yum. And uh, it's also supposed to be a big year for Hastings College Volleyball. Of course, they were national champs last year in NAIA. They will start this year ranked number one in the country. All right. And in the business seat today, we have Scott Foster. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, it's back to school day, at least in the Foster household. And so uh, I think because of that, Target and a lot of retailers are up. They've had to, you know, everybody buying school supplies. So U.S. stocks rising a little bit, at least at this time. Urban Outfielders soared 17%. Target up 3.2% Wednesday after both companies reported results that were better than uh, analysts were expecting. Urban outfielders. Did I say outfielders? You did. See, your sports guy's coming through. That'd be a good. That'd be a good name for a baseball place. <laughs> Urban outfielders. You yeah. know, you're wearing different uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> Works. Wonderful job. Thank you. Appreciate it, everybody. Hell, that's all coming up for you today on midday. 
Kuhlman Repair bringing you a look at ag weather. And in for Paul Perkins, I'm Dirk Christensen. Lots of beneficial rain all across the Midwest, particularly the western Midwest and the continued dry trend for the Canadian prairies and the northern plains. Key weather items that are catching commodity trade attention as of Wednesday. Very, very heavy rainfall totals reported with 6 inches north of Aurora near Donovan, 4.46, 5.2 near Genoa. We've also seen near Stromsburg, 4.3, Osceola reporting in with 4.48. And a number of other locations with uh, upwards of 6 inches reported from Surprise, for instance. We've had a 7.2-inch total reported near Fullerton, Nebraska. Just about everybody got something. One inch at Elwood, an inch 60 Bertrand, inch 55 reported unofficially at Carney near Elwood, about 5,700s in one of the lesser halves, but not quite so much. And Oberlin at 9,500s near Gresham, uh, 3.95. And uh, that uh, gives you an idea of the kind of levels of rainfall that have fallen. That has also given rise to a few of uh, the uh, watches and warnings which continue in effect in portions of the region. Uh, most recent aerial flood warnings have been issued for northern Clay, for northeastern Adams, York, Hamilton, northern Merrick, as well as uh, Polk and Hall counties, portions of all those counties until 7.45 p.m., for Wednesday. Also, flood warnings have been posted for areas of Colfax, Platt, Dodge, Butler, Western Saunders counties until 12.30 p.m. today. And a flood warning also has been posted until 9 p.m. Wednesday for portions of Valley County for northeastern Buffalo and Sherman counties in central Nebraska. The DTN Ag Weather Forecast calls for some timely and beneficial rains this week for filling corn and soybeans, especially through the western Midwest region. Some areas of Nebraska getting up to that uh, 2 to 4, even some isolated areas up to 6 inches of rain on Wednesday morning, leading to some flooding concerns. There's still some risk that dry areas of Iowa may actually miss that rainfall as it continues on its trek east. No significant heat stress is expected, although above normal temperatures are expected to come this weekend. For West Texas, cotton will likely benefit from the drier conditions and near to mostly above normal temperatures during the next week, although the northern part of the crop in that crop uh, corn belt may see some showers at times as well. Northern Plains, mostly favorable conditions seen for the harvest of the drought-reduced spring wheat crop at this time. Drier weather during the next 10 days will increase the risk to late-filling corn and soybeans while heat stress does remain low. No significant rains for the prairies. Canadians are seeing no significant rainfall forecast for that region until, well, at least past the next seven days, possibly longer. And this is a favorable weather pattern for harvesting a drought-reduced wheat crop and for canola, which is likely to be affected by the summer dry pattern, but not to the same extent as the wheat crop. Late filling crops will continue to be affected 
by that dryness in the northern U.S. as well. As of early Wednesday morning, the center of Hurricane Gertz, with winds of up to 90 miles an hour, was located 330 miles northwest of Bermuda. Gert is moving toward the northeast, about 21 miles an hour, even faster east-northeastward motion expected during the next couple of days. The first of the disturbances that affect land may move into the Caribbean Sea by Friday. Yield prospects for crops remain at near to above normal for much of Ukraine and Russia due to above normal rainfall during the past 30 days in much of that region. However, recent heated weather will increase the risk to filling crops in some locations. Tuesday, the highs reached 88 to 96 Fahrenheit in eastern areas of Ukraine. Conditions mostly favoring reproductive uh, to filling corn and soybeans at this time for northeast China regions due to recent generous rainfall. However, more precipitation will be needed to support filling crops and rains remain below normal for the season in that region. There was rain in the northeast and far south India on Tuesday. Drier weather covering much of the balance of India. Needed rains have occurred in Australia's state of Victoria crop areas during the past 24 hours. More rain likely as a disturbance tracks through the area by late this weekend. Our forecast for the state of Nebraska today, mostly cloudy, a chance of thunderstorms a little more scattered with some producing some heavy rainfall yet today. Mid to upper 70s, but tonight by the evening, clearing skies with slight chances of thunderstorms dissipating. Look for lows in the low to mid 60s overnight, the mid to upper 50s for the central and the mid 50s for the west. For Thursday, sunny skies, highs in the 80s, chance of thunderstorms Friday in the mid to upper 80s. Clearing for Saturday, mostly clear Sunday, temperatures reaching the upper 80s to near 90 for the weekend. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. agriculture information on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. While many segments of the agriculture economy in Nebraska are struggling, the governor's office is looking for, is looking to help. Bruce Gorder has the story. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts says one way to help the farm and state economies is through value-added agriculture. So, for example, yesterday I was at Hendricks Genetics in Grand Island when they opened up their hatchery. Now, this is a $20 million investment that will uh, create 40 to 50 jobs in Grand Island, but also importantly, will create a network of farmers who are going to be raising those eggs. And so that gives them a chance to put up a barn and add a diversified stream of income to their farm income. Uh, we see the same thing with the Costco plant in Fremont, which we broke the ground on a couple of months ago. And again, that's going to be a, a network of over 100 farmers who are going to be supplying Costco with the chickens for their poultry processing plant. Governor Ricketts says those are just a couple of examples where the agriculture economy is adding value to its products. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. USDA confirmed last month that U.S. cattle supplies are growing. Joe Gangwish has more. The Ag Department released two big reports in July, the Cattle Inventory Report 
and the Cattle on Feed report. And they both confirmed cattle inventories in the country are growing. The July cattle inventory asked producers to report the calf crop for the entire year of 2017. It came in at 36.3 million head. That's up 3.5% from 2016. The ratio of the July beef cow inventory to the January level was the highest since 1993. That's the last period of full-fledged expansion in the industry and a level that confirms expansion continuing in 2017. Now, the most influential and surprising information from that cattle on feed report was our June placements topped last year by 16.1%, fully 10% higher than pre-report expectations. To traders, the most important question now is whether the placement surge resulted from pulling feeder cattle ahead or whether feeder supplies are larger than previously thought. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. The National Sorghum Producers Board of Directors elected officers and reappointed three individuals to the board last week during its annual August board meeting. National Sorghum Producers Board member Don Bloss of Pawnee City, Nebraska, was re-elected chairman of the board. And board member Dan Atkinson of Stockton, Kansas, was re-elected vice chairman. Kendall Hodgson of Little, Little River, Kansas, was elected as treasurer. Additionally, Atkinson, Larry Dawson of Lindsburg, Kansas, and Tom Willis of Liberal, Kansas, were all re-elected to three-year terms on the board. Changes to National Sorghum Producers Board of Directors are effective on October 1st of 2017. And statements by Canadian Trade Minister Freeland that Canada would protect its dairy programs and upcoming NAFTA negotiations are being met with criticism by U.S. dairy producers. National Milk Producers Federation President and CEO Jim Mullerin said in a statement, and I quote, for too long, Canada has relied on government controls on farm milk production to boost prices while minimizing dairy imports to the legitimate competition. By comparison, the United States has slashed its government involvement in dairy markets and relies on exporting its products to global customers to a greater degree than ever before. As to the assertion of trade is weighted towards the U.S. and dairy, Mullerin said that much of what the U.S. can export to Canada is ultimately shipped back under Canadian import for re-export programs. That's Look at Ag Information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. With NAFTA discussions beginning this week, Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts led a trade mission to Canada last week. And here to visit with us about that is First Vice President with the Nebraska Farm Bureau, Mark McCard. And Mark, you were on the trip as part of the trade delegation. Why don't you just start off by talking to us about what exactly went on while you were up there? Yeah, it was uh, it was a great trip. Uh, it was a great privilege to travel with the governor and uh, some of his cabinet members to Canada and uh, the Canadian officials and the farmers and different organizations that we talked to just really appreciated uh, Nebraskans coming up and uh, encouraging them them that uh, NAFTA is is something that's very good for us. So we talked quite a bit about NAFTA. Uh, uh, it was really the main topic of conversation relative to the uh, negotiations that are starting this week. But we also talked quite a bit about uh, just what Nebraska can offer Canada, both in uh, opportunities for uh, Canadian companies to possibly site here in Nebraska and just kind of talking about the further uh, partnerships that we can have together. Go into a little bit more of the conversations surrounding agriculture up there. Yeah, so we met with the uh, kind of the equivalent of the, the head of the cattlemen's uh, 
cattle producers, uh, the exec director of the uh, Pork, Pork County Council up there, uh, also spoke with their equivalent of their uh, Farm Bureau president, uh, uh, president of the ag organizations up there. And the conversations that we, we, we had that we felt like we could really come together on was some of the phytosanitary issues that we had dealt with in TPP as we worked through that, uh, some of the uh, uh trace residue from particular herbicides or chemicals that we use, mainly some of the seed treatments that are talking are affected bee populations potentially. Those are the kind of conversations that we said, you know, we've agreed on some of these things within the NAFTA. Uh, it really made sense to them to, to uh, include that in the NAFTA negotiations. Uh, really the wild card that we talked to all the ag producers about was some of their dairy policies, uh, and the uh, issues surrounding that. Go into that dairy a little bit more because that was one of the big things when a lot of this NAFTA discussion started was the effect it would have on dairy. Yeah, you know, it's just one of the things that stand out in the actual uh, relationship with Canada is their, uh, they have a very robust dairy industry. It's a big part of their ag sector, uh, but they also have some pretty tight uh, limits on what we could trade with them, and they knew that that was a concern. Uh, so we're going to have to kind of walk the balance between uh, what that looks like uh, in their overall view of what supply management should look like within the ag sector. Uh, generally, the conversations we had was uh, they believe supply management is, is a pretty good way to control prices, uh, and I would say in general, as American producers, uh, we would differ on that opinion, and so I, I think that's where we're going to have to kind of struggle to work through and figure out where we can find some common ground in the negotiation. All right, thanks, Mark. First Vice President with the Nebraska Farm Bureau, Mark McCarg, visiting with us about the trade mission they took with Governor Pete Ricketts to Canada last week ahead of the NAFTA discussions that begin today. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You've got men today on the Rural Radio Network, and now it's time to get sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, the Husker volleyball team has picked to finish second. The Big Ten preseason poll that was selected by the conference's 14 head coaches after winning the Big Ten championship a year ago, the Huskers are picked only behind Penn State. Junior outside hitter Michaela Fecky and senior setter Kelly Hunter were named to the preseason All-Big Team. Now, the Huskers will play six of their first eight Big Ten matches against teams picked to finish in the top six of the league. Middle blocker Rihanna Holman says the team is looking forward to showing what it can do. Like we've been saying, like we lost a lot of starters, but at the same time, we also had a lot of people come in, and so... We've just been focusing on um, just bettering ourselves, not necessarily volleyball-wise, but just us as a teammate. And so we've been really focusing on trying to get better team chemistry, you know, and just having an overall better dynamic in the, in the gym. The Huskers will hold their annual red-white scrimmage on Saturday night. 
After closing out last year with their first championship banner, Hastings College claims the number one spot in the NAIA Volleyball Coaches' Top 25 preseason poll. The Broncos swept the field with all 20 first-place votes. They are expected to be very good again. They are led by first-team All-American senior Katie Plackey, as well as NAIA Libero of the Year, Jill Bax. Well, the Husker football team practiced for just over two hours again this morning. And new defensive coordinator Bob Diaco says a new 3-4 defense can work and be effective. We're on our own system based on the staffs that we've been on. We've built it. And 3-4 is a component and a building block and a piece. And like all strong foundations, there are other pieces. So we're pleased with where we're at as it relates to the install. We are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Nebraska's season opener is set for Saturday, September 2nd at 7 o'clock Central Time at Memorial Stadium when they battle Arkansas State. The NFL Players Association has appealed Dallas Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott's six-game suspension over the league's conclusion that its 2016 rushing leader injured his former girlfriend in three separate incidents last summer. The union said today it will represent him after the league suspended Elliott last week after a year-long investigation into an Ohio domestic violence case that prosecutors ultimately declined to pursue. A hearing with Goodell or an arbitrator will be scheduled within 10 days with a decision as soon as possible. The Cowboys open up the regular season on September 10th at home against the New York Giants. And Sam Wibbles of Grand Island today verbally committed to sign and play baseball at Kentucky. He's planning on being part of their class of 2019. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More middays just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Isolated showers and thunderstorms today, mostly cloudy with a high near 76. For tonight, mostly cloudy, a gradually becoming clear with a low of around 55. And then for Thursday, sunny with a high near 84. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. The fifth annual Living Out Loud concert takes place this weekend in Gothenburg. One of the organizers, Kobe Rickardson, said last year broke all the records. Last year was uh, the biggest as far as attendance. That uh, We used drone footage and a uh, crowd estimator software. And at uh, right before Newsboys went on was the last time we got a good shot with the sun still up, and it was we had a little over 10,000. This year's featured band is 10th Avenue North. Rickardson says he has taken calls from all over the state and surrounding states as well. He is hoping that people here for the eclipse might stop in for this spiritual event also. The weekend of music and fellowship starts at 4.15 on Saturday across the street from the high school. The grand opening ceremony was held Tuesday at the new hatchery in Grand Island. Survey Hermans discusses the impact the Hendrix Genetics factory will have. We have built together with Henning Corporation a hatchery, and this uh, hatchery is able to produce 25 million laying hens. And 25 million laying hens are good for about 25 eggs per person in the total of the United States. Senator Matt Williams of Gothenburg announced his re-election campaign on Monday with an aim to continue his pledge to improve Nebraska's rural economy, control government spending, attract good-paying jobs, and advocate for schools and farms. Senator Williams represents the state's 36th legislative district comprised of Dawson, Custer, and the northern third of Buffalo counties. 
Senator Williams says lessening the burden of property taxes on rural citizens also is a high priority. But we're also continuing discussions about how we rebalance the stool of taxes, the three-legged stool between property tax, income tax, and sales tax. And I believe the commitment from the state uh, needs to be greater than it currently And if we can use more state dollars to help fund K-12 education, we can start reducing that reliance on property tax that we've gotten to right now. Williams was first elected to the Nebraska legislature in 2014. He's a fourth-generation banker and has been with his family-owned bank since 1973. Kansas has joined 13 other states in an interstate first responder communications network that allows public safety agencies to communicate across jurisdictions during emergencies. Governor Sam Brownback announced Tuesday that the state has joined the First Responders Network Authority, FirstNet, and AT&T, which will build the statewide broadband network. Brownback said FirstNet would help in natural disasters such as wildfires, tornadoes, and ice storms. Get your news fast and first when you like our Facebook page in the KRVN News Center. I'm Scott Foster. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network talking with Brett Enns, the Assistant Director for First Year Programs at the University of Nebraska Kearney, also talking with Mackenzie Suba. She's the Blue and Gold Welcome Coordinator at UNK. Brett and Mackenzie, Blue and Gold Welcome Week is coming up, and it's always one of the biggest events of the year. Tell us exactly what is Blue and Gold Welcome Week. It is probably the most exciting time of year, I think, on our college campus because it's when the hustle and bustle begins and students come back, and it truly is a welcome to our first-year students as they arrive for their first time to college. It also involves our current students as well, but, you know, in the first-year office, we're focused on making sure our first-year students feel welcome and that we're transitioning them to the college atmosphere just to the best that we can. So we focus on three things, really, is just... The Loper identity, making sure they kind of have that Loper pride and the belongingness to campus, and then also helping them transition academically. So helping them connect with faculty and staff and just really getting a, a snippet of what the college experience is like in all in one weekend before that first week starts. It's such a great opportunity for our students to make those social relationships. I think that's probably the most important piece of it. I mean, yeah, the academic component is so important, but time and time again they've told us that they have actually met their best friend at Playfair, or that's when they actually kind of like became friends during Blue Gold Welcome because it's a time to get them out of their rooms and out of their comfort zones and really just getting to know each other. McKenzie, your thoughts from a student's perspective. Blue and gold in a student's aspect is basically, like Brett was touching on, just this big welcome, kind of a welcome home. This is your home now for four years, and this is where you're going to make all those memories, and we want to start kicking off those memories with all these events and give you that chance to find the other students that you're going to be friends with for the next couple of years and so that you guys, as a group and friends, can make memories together outside of just the events that we plan. Brett and McKenzie, there are so many traditional events every year as part of Blue and Gold Welcome Week, but there's always a new event, it seems like, each year. Talk about those traditional events and the new event you have this year. So traditionally, we, we start things off Friday, students move in, and we have our big welcome convocation. And that convocation is really, it's just a big pep rally that welcomes the first-year students and their parents. Chancellor speaks, we'll have a professor speak, and Kenzie and a fellow student are going to also speak and just make it a really fun start to the weekend. Then they'll go to the Blue Gold Showcase, which aka Free Stuff Day, as our students call it, the Chancellor's Picnic. And then after that is when we will have some of our new events. So 
Saturday, what's really kind of cool is we're doing a new thing called Paint the Road. We're actually going to have our first-year students go out and literally paint the road in between the Health and Sports Center and the College of Education, that one-way road. They're going to be able to put their handprints and their footprints in and then paint the whole thing blue. It's going to be kind of a little ceremonial. You know, we're going to have colored powder from those color runs that they can throw up. And I think it's just going to be a really good intro to that Lopers Under the Lights and that feeling of Loper pride and making their mark here at UNK. So that's one of our new ones. But then another old standby I'll let Kenzie talk about, which is Destination Downtown. So Destination Downtown is one that students and the Carney community really love to come out to. This year it will be Thursday, August 24th, starting at 7. This year we're going to have, of course, the businesses come out. They'll be doing their giveaways. They'll be having fun. I know I think someone's bringing in artists that can do drawings for students. They're giving away sandwiches, tons of stuff like that. But we're actually adding to Destination Downtown this year by bringing in a band to kind of make it a street dance. So around 8.45, 9 o'clock, Lemon Fresh Day will start playing, and they'll be working kind of with Stig Up to do their philanthropy. So it's for a good cause as well. We have our food eating competition that goes on during Destination Downtown, where students have a chance to win free skydiving tickets as the grand prize and lots of other things like that. The night market will be there. It's just a big event for students as well as community members to get a piece of downtown to see what it's all about, as well as kind of explore Kearney a little bit. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network, talking with Brett Enns. She's the Assistant Director for First Year Programs, and Mackenzie Suba, the Blue and Gold Welcome Coordinator at the University of Nebraska Kearney. Brett and Mackenzie, give us an idea of what the overall schedule looks like this year. Things really kick off on campus with Move In on that Friday, August 18th. And that's when those events will begin. But then our events really span for six weeks. We put together a six-week schedule for our students so that they really have something to do almost every day from the time they move on Friday the 18th until October. So they don't ever have to worry about, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do today? How am I going to find friends today? We have an answer to those questions pretty much every day that they're here for those first six weeks. The weekend is really our main focus, and that's when those really important events take place, like convocation. Saturday we have an orientation for our students where they get to meet with faculty and staff. And then Sunday we have our campus class Rome, which is where we take our students around to their actual classrooms so they know where they're going on Monday when classes happen. And then Monday, as you probably know, is the eclipse, which is crazy that we have this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity on the first day of classes, which creates a really unique problem but a really exciting one. And the fact that students will actually have classes canceled from 11 to 3 so that they can go and participate in the eclipse and actually eat lunch there and be a part of that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So I would say Friday to Monday is really the pinnacle of our Blue Gold Welcome celebrations. But then we have things going on like Mud Tug and Destination Downtown and ice skating events all throughout those first six weeks. Brett and Mackenzie, the last word is yours. Anything else we need to know about Blue and Gold Welcome Week? We're excited for our students to arrive. We can't wait. This is what we've been waiting for all year. And we just look forward to the arrival of our first-year students We hope we see community members come out to these events and just everyone super excited that we're finally kicking off the school year once again. That was North Platte native Brett Enns, the Assistant Director for First Year Programs at the University of Nebraska Kearney, along with Silver Creek native Mackenzie Suba. She's the Blue and Gold Welcome Coordinator at UNK. Coming up, we have Blue and Gold Welcome Week in just a few days. With the Rural Radio Network, this is Brandon Bennett's. Let's get our closing livestock futures report with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. Joe, uh, pretty much lower all day in the cattle. What turned the hogs around mid-session? 
Well, I think it had a, a little bit to do with the uh, cutouts being down 212 at noon, and, and cash uh, continues to be a little bit on the soft side. So that, uh, that about the time the uh, cutouts came out is when we saw the, the uh, market just start slipping away, and uh, it just continued right on uh, uh, through the remainder of the day. And uh, we finished totally in the red with uh, a couple of triple-digit uh, losses in the October and these uh, hogs. So, uh, boy, to talk about stopping uh, a little momentum, uh, several days of rally uh, ended uh, quite suddenly, and down we came. Puts the uh, uh, hogs at a deep discount again to the index uh, as we're uh, approximately $16 uh, lower on the than the index. The cattle didn't fare much better. Uh, we had some, uh, after yesterday's nice rally, uh, things kind of turned around there, too. We finished lower. Uh, the auction apparently didn't go too well. Cutouts were lower again at noon, and they really haven't heard any trade uh, at all. So uh, that uh, uh, kind of took the wind out of that those sales today, and uh, we finished with uh, everything lower completely red. The uh, feeder's taking the uh, brunt of it uh, uh, anywhere from uh, in the 2 to $3 plus range lower. And, a lot, and the live cattle had some triple-digit losses also. Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities to talk livestock. Call 800-328-0134. Chad Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network. Going on in Omaha this week, it is the U.S. Soy Global Trade Exchange, and it's an effort of the U.S. Soybean Export Council and, and others to uh, bring foreign buyers to the U.S. and talk about uh, the uh, preference and why they should buy U.S. soy. Let's visit with Jim Miller from Belden, Nebraska. He's chairman of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. And already, uh, even before the official opening ceremony of the exchange, things were happening. I understand there was a, a signing ceremony on Tuesday night. Tell us about it. Yes, there was, Chad. We had a signing ceremony with the Chinese buyers last night, and uh, they signed purchase con. There was 11 companies from China that signed purchase contracts with five U.S. exporters. And so last night they purchased or signed purchase agreements for 3.8 million metric ton, valued at $1.651 billion. And and again, you know, China is the gorilla in the room that we've talked about a lot. And to keep them engaged with uh, U.S. soybean growers and, and shippers is pretty important, isn't it? Yes, it is, Chad. You know, China takes 60% of all the soybeans grown in the world. But uh, with these signing agreements, it really shows that China is interested in, in purchasing U.S. agricultural exports. We hear on the radio all the time, or the news, that uh, all the friction there is between the U.S. and, and China over trade. But we, when we have signing agreements like this, and it really shows the U.S. customer, or it really shows the U.S. consumers and, and, and citizens of the U.S. that China does value the working relationship over their U.S. agricultural products. Yep. The other thing that you were telling me about that took place on Tuesday was this, um, we kind of say it tongue-in-cheek, but speed dating of buyers and sellers of, of soybeans from around the world. Um, and, and you had an opportunity to sit in on that. Uh, tell us what those discussions are like and what you observed. Well, Chad, what we do in, in this speed dating is we uh, we bring in the international customers. and, and uh, So in, in my group, I had Bangladesh, Pakistan, and two buyers from South Korea. So I had about 14 people in my room. 
we stayed in the room all day, and then we brought in exporters of U.S. And so the, the exporters would come in, and they would have a half hour to give a presentation and visit with the the customers about what they had to offer and, and if they was a bulk shipper or if they was a container shipper. And we try to match up and only bring in the exporters that meet what the needs are of the international customer. So if they was looking for whole soybeans, we brought in the whole soybean exporters. If they was a food grain exporter, then the food grain exporters would come into that room. But anyway, with Bangladesh and Pakistan and, and South Korea, it was pretty interesting because two years ago, Bangladesh and Pakistan was buying no soybeans from the U.S. Last year, the total imports to Bangladesh and Pakistan from the world was 1.6 million metric ton. Last year alone, imports from the U.S. was 1 million metric ton. So we had the biggest share of that imports to those two countries. And just to put 1 million metric ton into perspective for the for the farmer that's in me, that would equate to about 40,000 semi-loads of soybeans going into those two countries where two years ago we wasn't importing anything there. So the work that uh, USEC has done and, and really the work that WISH, the World Initiative for Soy and Human Health, which is a branch of the American Soybean Association, has done prior to that, has built up that demand for, for soy in those regions. Again, we've been visiting with Jim Miller from Belden, Nebraska, serving as chairman of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, USEC, along with others, putting on the U.S. Soy Global Trade Exchange this week in Omaha. On the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moyer reporting. Time for our closing grain market analysis here on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Joe Gangwish, joined by John Payne, Senior Market Analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, also the publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So, John, let's talk about the close. At least we rallied the beans back here a little bit. Yeah, very, very nice close. Back above $4 on that December 18 contract as well. We kind of dipped our heads uh, below that level, um, $4 for next year's corn for the first time since uh, late spring. And it was a good sign to see that hold in. Um, you know, psychologically, everything is so down right now. Um, you know, producers down, folks who have tried to reown the markets after sales are down. It's just, it's just kind of a sour time. And I think that's usually a good opportunity to, to be, uh, to be a bull, I, I think we're probably a little early here still, and maybe maybe we have made the lows here. And if, if we have, um, you know, all, all the good for the producers out there holding it, I still think these next two weeks are going to offer a lot more of an opportunity to buy if you are on the buy side, given the uh, just the amount of sales that need to be made. And I've, I've been harping on that for a while, going back, you know, six months. That don't hold, don't you don't want to be holding this physical corn into the end of August, given the amount of bushels that are kind of for, converge with new crop. But once we get through this period, I think the the market's going to find itself at a really good value level, and uh, depending on what the USDA does with the yields going forward, could be uh, uh, maybe the start of something to the upside. Hopefully folks heeded those warnings about not holding on to corn into August here, but uh, looking at uh, what we've got, you know, we heard a rumor earlier that maybe some funds were jumping into the short side, but I would think this would be a good buying opportunity. Boy, I would have said that about 30 cents ago in the week. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I really, it's, it's, it's blown my mind to see how the market put all that premium in and then it's just taken it all back. Uh, I really think that the, the fund position um, it's probably been liquidated quite a bit. There is more to go. Um, we saw some pretty good buying, oh, two weeks ago, and I think those folks are probably either bailing or, you know, kind of covering some of that risk at this point. Um, but once we start to say maybe fall back to price levels where we, were at, where we were in May, and we're getting to those levels, I think there's some opportunity there. Uh, a lot of talk about... Um, 
you know, this crop tour is going to take place next week. They've been pretty accurate the last few years, especially in the more uh, eastern areas. And I think that's where I'll be interested to see where they stand in Illinois. You know, two years ago, not to go back to crop crop progress numbers in, in the USDA, but two years ago, crop progress numbers are the exact same as they are right now in Illinois. We had a 166 yield in that August report. This last one, we had a 188 yield. So it's a little bit of a confusing time, I think, for a lot of the guys in the trade. Is like, what are we trading here? Are we trading a 165 in Illinois. We're trading a 188. I think it's probably closer to the higher, but um, you know, I think this crop tour will help give us a little definition. John Payne with Daniel's Act Marketing in Chicago. This Week in Grain is his publication. You can get a free trial by going to danielsackmarketing.com. This is the Rural Radio Network.